0: Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this special edition of Life Science Marketing Radio. It's our best of edition, volume number three. I wanna thank you for being a loyal listener and spreading the word about this podcast. Because of your help, Getting the word out, this week, LSMR will surpass 17,000 downloads, so thank you very much. In this episode, I've pulled together some of the best bits about content marketing from the last year or so. I'll highlight the episode title for each one so you can go back and listen to the complete episodes in case you missed something or you just want to listen again. I'll start with what is one of the most popular episodes ever, certainly the most shared, and that's my interview with Andy Bertera, the Executive Director of Marketing at New England Biolabs. The episode was How New England Biolabs Owns the Customer Journey. This one was loaded with insights, but I'll focus on two. NEB's recognition of what the journey looks like for their customers and their willingness to experiment with different types of content. I I, I may have mentioned this in other podcasts. I whenever I talked to somebody from NEB, I remember looking in their cal- in their catalog and calculating the cost of a gram of a lambda vector, which was some, you know, I was in school and it would have been it's some millions of dollars because you're selling such <laughs> tiny amounts of it, but which is sad, man. But I want to talk about so I have an idea of what um I think the buyer's journey looks like for an NEB customer, but how, how does NEB see it, the
2: buying journey? That's a great question. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, in fact, we were doing some exercises recently to uh, try and map out this journey ourselves because – I mean, it's something you know, I guess, some degree, uh, but you know, very rarely, uh, or, or maybe historically, before sort of buyer's journey, became, you know, became a uh, a sort of topic of uh, great discussion, that it was actually documented. Um, I think the. Not surprising thing is that journey is actually a very good word for a relationship that Neb has with its customers, in that it's not a trip because it tends to be longer in nature. It tends to be you know more involved, more hopefully more enjoyable than uh, you know just somewhere you go perhaps uh, for a quick day trip. The other the other aspect, however, is journey is not necessarily a good word for it because when you think about a journey, you start somewhere and you end somewhere, which means by its nature you know it's a finite uh, in time. When we were thinking about uh, the customer's uh, buying journey, you know, we came to the conclusion very quickly that it's definitely not linear. Uh, it actually has many, many different sort of uh, spikes or uh, as it became touch points with it. And customers, come into NEB, they uh, have a interaction, then they go again, then they uh, come back for some other aspect of either the same uh, purchasing cycle or a different uh, question. And there's many, many touch points that actually make up uh, that uh, journey. And the conclusion we came to is that any one of those touch points obviously is important and you want to make as, as large and a, a, an important impact as you can, but it's the sum total of those uh, touch points that actually makes up that uh, journey or better put the total experience that the customer has with uh, your company and obviously its brand and we became you know very focused on the fact that the sum total of those touch points the total journey the total experience really can be a source of competitive advantage if you use every one of them as an opportunity for the customer to actually both experience you know uh, a good quality interaction but also learn more about you. We also came to the conclusion that uh, many aspects of the journey or many aspects of the touch point and not an opportunity to actually upsell to your customer. I think too often, you know, I've seen whether it's an app, whether it's, uh, I don't know, an interaction on the website. You know, you know, you've got this. It doesn't say as overtly this, but you've got this uh, message say, "Are you ready to buy yet?" You know, are you? You know, here's the price. Here's the what have you? Um, and I think that for us, is not necessarily the way we like to interact with our customers. We want to support our customers to actually answer their scientific, their research questions, their research needs. And then when they're ready to buy, we're ready to take the order. But also, but really nurture them through that process and provide them the information and uh, details they need such that they will buy from you based on the experience, but when they're ready.
1: Well, one, I like the fact that you're talking about doing experiments. I, I've heard this concept before, and you and you would think in the sciences that would be a normal <laughs> thing, but most people, or I think a lot of people, I, I can't say most because I don't know, but um, don't really think about Doing marketing things as an experiment that, you know, they do something and they hope it works, but they're not always thinking like, what could we learn if we try this? And if it doesn't work, that's, that's not a failure. That's one thing we know we don't need yeah. to try anymore. Mm-hmm. And and rather than no, I, t- I totally
2: I would totally agree I mean um, you know we uh, particularly in the digital realm you know technologies and uh, ways of interacting and communicating are advancing much faster outside of obviously the life sciences than they are within it uh, one of my uh, former uh, uh, managers uh, had the expression steal with pride and what he meant by that was don't be afraid to you know um, take a technology take an idea and um, marketing idea or have you from another industry and reinvent it for the life sciences and see what had happened you know uh, i think scientists sometimes don't like to think that they're influenced by uh, marketing as uh, as people outside of the sciences are but of course they're all human beings and have the same sort of emotions and therefore definitely are um, but the key is how do you adapt it and 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 train perhaps that other idea uh, for the life science uh, uh, marketplace and if you don't try you'll never know so uh, you know Know, don't put all your eggs into that uh, one new idea, uh, but you know if you kind of uh, you know put ten percent of your budget or have it into it and see what happens, you might actually be onto a winner.
1: Yeah, it's um, that's been a hot topic. It's come up a couple of times on the podcast, and the fact is that um, our customers are living in a world where. Uh, the rest of their whole life is digital and the the whole Mm -hmm. Amazon experience. And I I think you might've mentioned that in your webinar, but that's how they're beginning. They're being trained to interact with companies now. So if you're not doing it or experimenting with those things from outside the life sciences, you're going to fall behind. That's totally true. I mean, it's, uh,
2: you know, obviously within our, within our own sort of vertical, you know, you compare yourself with who the leaders uh, actually are, but, all those all those customers you know if it's search they think google if it's online buying it's it's amazon or whatever it might actually be so they set the standards for a person's experience and uh, you know they don't care that you don't have the uh, you know uh, it budget that an amazon or a google has they just expect that to be the
1: norm you know right the idea of experimenting Has come up a few times on Life Science Marketing Radio. And as marketers, I think in a scientific business, we should be willing to make hypotheses about different types of content, what they can do for our audience, and test them. From there, let's jump forward to my recent episode with Joan Boyce, who is the GM of BioCompare and a very experienced media producer. We spoke in detail about the value of an editorial calendar, a mission statement for your editorial, and how to use that calendar to sell your content marketing program to your management. The episode was titled, How to Use an Editorial Calendar Like a Media Boss to Streamline Your Content Marketing. Um. So you're a publisher and you need a schedule so that you can deliver something on a regular basis, because that is an expectation of publishers. Right. Um, And, you know, if you listen to Joe Polizzi and the content marketing Institute, I mean, their consistency is a big deal and consistency of content is, it can be difficult. I mean, uh, I've been doing this for two and a half years. I had to take one, interval off because I didn't have anything and I was, and I, and occasionally I repost things, um, but it, there's definitely takes some effort to put something out every other week. Um, but beyond, um, having the schedule, what other benefits do you see as having a calendar that you're, you're working from? Why is it important?
0: Yeah, it's important. Um, it's important because it does, like I said earlier, it takes a lot of time and effort and resources to put together a calendar. So I think the main benefits are it'll help you focus your efforts on your goals and objectives. Um, So referring to that, making sure you don't go astray, because it's easy, I think, sometimes to get off course. But if you have a document that you've prepared, things are written, people have signed off, it helps you with the focus. Secondly, it also helps that you adhere to a schedule, which is really, really important. And that, you know, and if you publish it internally and, um, you know, and and send it off to your writers, then they'll, you know, there's a, there's a commitment that they have to adhere to a schedule. So that ensures that the content actually gets written and published um, on time. And adhering to the calendar as well um, also leads to like, you said, you mentioned consistency, consistent execution. And that could help with staying within the budget because, you know, as you know, content efforts can get costly and if they get and if things go outside of scope and outside of the calendar you can be you know you can be incurring a lot of expenses that you maybe haven't budgeted for so those are the main reasons why it's important and uh, why it's such a great organizational tool
1: oh all right so what now we're getting into the process what does the process of creating the calendar look like?
0: Oh, that's a good question. Okay, it's gonna ha- gonna have kind of a long answer because it's very <laughs> it's very in yeah, depth.
1: Yeah, well, this is that's what we're here and, for. Uh,
0: and I actually just wrote an article about this for our upcoming e-newsletter um, that we call BioCompare Insights. So, yeah, this is t- very timely. So, really, like I said earlier, the first step is that I find to be useful is to create an editorial mission statement. So I know this this sounds really basic, but I can't tell you how important it is. So the statement should really articulate your goals. Okay, so why are you creating the content in the first place? What do you hope to accomplish with it? And most importantly, how will you measure success? Okay, so you need to think about that stuff up front. Um, Once you've had that all mapped out, in conjunction with that thinking, you really need to kind of pinpoint the desired audience and the personas of that audience so who are you creating this content for what are their biggest pain points um what i find to be really useful obviously in a in sort of the media world the magazine world uh, we have editorial advisory boards so i always like to validate everything through you know through boards uh, through colleagues um, for a company, I recommend that they tapping into their sales organ, you know, to their customers or their sales organization. And uh, one resource that I think is really underutilized is technical support. So, you know, ask your technical support group, Hey, what are the top 10 like challenges that you are, or questions that you're getting? And uh, cause those are the pain points. So if you kind of focus on those, uh, can help you understand your desired audience um, a little bit better. So once you do that high-level thinking, what you then need to do is to uh, determine the budget that you can allocate for content creation because that's really going to drive a lot of the decision-making, and uh, such as like frequency. So once you've kind of determined those high-level things, then you can start creating the sort of editorial calendar tactical plan so you have your budget, you have your goals, how you're going to measure success, your personas. And the next thing to decide is, is the frequency. How often will you publish the content? Um, because that's really important. That's going to tie very directly into the budget. Then you need to kind of think about the distribution channels that you have to disseminate the content. And the reason why the distribution channels um, are important and, and important to consider early on it's because how and where the content is consumed may give insights into where that person is or could potentially be within the purchasing journey.
1: So you're publishing a media con uh, media kit every year and you do that. so I've, I've seen this uh, to sell advertising and other services for BioCompare. So somewhere near the end of one year, you've got your calendar ready for the next year. So you can go out and, and, and say, this is what we're going to be talking about next year. Which of these slots do you want? Or which of these packages do you want? And here's how, um, what we're going to be publishing. So people interested in a certain topic will see your content or your product release at, at the right time. What do you think of the idea of marketers using, um, in a, in a company using an editorial calendar to sell management on a fixed program of content marketing? So in other words, sell the idea of saying, we're going to build this calendar and with, and with the intent, that this is our plan (laughs) this is and this is why we're going to publish this at this time and my goal would be to minimize people coming and saying hey you know we should do an article on this or we should do an you know the ad hoc requests that kind of disrupt the flow of a content marketing system
0: no definitely and um You know, I'm smiling right now because I I really do feel that since the editorial calendar is such a great organizational tool that, uh, you know, if it's put together properly and used effectively, it will result in marketing efforts that are more organized and aligned with key strategic goals. And as you, um, you know, astutely thought about when you're writing this question, it's an awesome way to present the ideas to management. Really, it really is because it shows that you're going to be organized, you have your goals, you have, you know, success metrics, you have a budget. Um, and so I really do feel that the best content marketing efforts all start with an editorial calendar because it really does force that deeper level of thinking, as I kind of alluded to, you know, earlier on in, in that other question. Um what I recommend is starting actually with a kind of a small effort to use as a proof of concept, right? If, so if you want to sell it to management, they always like to do what works. So start with like a three to four month plan. Um, again, I can't stress the importance of setting metric goals and having them laid out within the calendar. Goals that are measurable and set them for every piece of content you create. And then measure early and often, you know, A-B tests, things like design titles, to ensure that when you roll out your full-on campaigns are using kind of what's worked. And what will get management's attention is the ability to show ROI, as you know, because content marketing isn't really a one-time effort.
1: The idea of using the calendar to convince management you're serious may be as valuable as what it does for your customers. Because without continuous support, a lot of content marketing programs will fade before they get real traction. Speaking of editorial, my next highlight is from Jen Oladipo, who's an actual journalist. And that episode was called Earned Media in Your Life Science Content Marketing Strategy. Jen shared some great advice that will help you understand what the challenges are that a journalist is facing and how you can be helpful in the process of getting your earned media placements. Yeah, I know that. That's interesting. So one of the things you said to me that made prompted a question i hadn't thought of is and i want to jump right into it although we might get back to it later is um when you said waiting through so sometimes there's a lot of information and it made me think how can a company help a journalist streamline the waiting process
3: (laughs) yeah um that is a great question. One of the things you can do is to be concise. I think there's a tendency, especially among folks who, um, you know, some people in your audience may be coming from a more technical background, you know, maybe they're, the marketing is is the secondary thing that they do. And the you know, other writing and things they've done has been more technical. And so, you, you know, you want it all in there and, it you know, you want it to be crystal clear. Well, when you're coming into somebody's inbox, um, you don't want it all in there. You really want to make sure that folks just get the gist of what you want, uh, starting with the the subject line, um, you know, make sure that it's pretty clear why this should be interested. Um, the other, One of the other things that you can do as well to help journalists is, is to provide good resources. A lot of companies are producing content that is based on research is based on you know valuable information they've got some innovative stuff going on and it's actually very useful and newsworthy and and that content itself um not your not your sales materials necessarily but the content marketing things you would do that aren't um you know, as prom- self-promotional, those kinds of things can be very helpful. Um, one of the things that, that we talked about was how, you know, I, as a journalist, um, always looking for new stories, always looking for new angles, and I used what I now understand is content marketing. I didn't, I didn't know that at the time, but things like um, studies, case studies, that sort of thing that came through, and they were really good, solid information um, and timely information. Um, there are many times where something like that, I, I got that content with you know just a brief explanation of what it was called them right back and boom they had a story um it was pretty simple and it was good stuff and it was you know relevant to to my audience you know I felt like readers would actually get value out of it and um you know they got lots of coverage and they got third-party coverage so it was you know an independent voice saying hey you know, they've done this work and it's really valuable and here's the link to it and here's the background behind it. And, you know, <laughs> they, you can't pay for that kind of coverage.
1: Right. That's that's kind of more what I was thinking is that um, higher level, useful to anyone sort of information and even packaging it in a way for a journalist maybe um, – Here are 10 things that are important to think about in this space, whatever it is. I don't have a specific example in mind. Something that the journalist could take and then use it to evaluate everything else they're looking at and something that the audience, potential customers included, could look at and gain a better understanding of whatever situation they're in.
3: Absolutely. And, you know, a, a list like that, 10 things, if there's some real information in there, um, you know, it's very likely that a journalist will, will call you back to find out. You know, there's a little bit of luck to it, you know. Um, so it's good to pay attention to what's going on in the larger news. Good to pay attention to what your target publication or journalist is has been writing about. Um, that helps. It's not necessarily, but it, but it definitely helps. Um, You know, so yeah, you mentioned like a top 10 list. If it's something really, you know, some really solid information where, you know, as a journalist, you're looking at it thinking, I had no idea about this aspect of that industry, that technology, that process, that person, you know, whatever. Um, Infographics too. I mean, those kinds of things often get picked up and just, um, just, run in totality, you know, and it's got your organization's name right there at the bottom, and maybe just a little bit of editorial uh, from from the journalist. But, you know, there's so much um, interest in visuals these days. So something like that can just get picked right up and, and slapped in the newspaper. Um, but it becomes a news story, you know, by the process of you know, being evaluated by a journalist and deemed, yes, you know, this, this is timely, this is novel, whatever, whatever it is that, that they find useful about it. So that's something to consider also. It, it, it doesn't have to necessarily be a, a really big, dense, meaty piece of information.
1: Journalists have time pressure just like you do. And as you might imagine, anything that gets them good results faster is welcome. So I recommend you go back and listen to that entire episode again. We're all trying to attract scientists with stories. Wendy Wise works at the American Chemical Society and is doing the same thing, but her product are the journals of the American Chemical Society. The episode is entitled, How the American Chemical Society Uses Content Marketing to Attract Scientists. Wendy told me about how they tell stories about scientists in their labs Using a 360 degree camera, which I think is a novel type of content that probably generates a lot of curiosity in their audience. Of course, your goal is to get scientists to publish in those journals. And what does it take to make them think that you're the right fit, like a particular journal? How do you make them think my story or my manuscript needs to go in here?
4: Well, so the, the publishing world in sciences um, hinges on a lot of uh, metrics. Um, one of those metrics that is used to, to judge um, whether or not um, a journal is significant is called an impact factor, and that's published by Thomson Reuters. So we do a lot of marketing around what our different impact factors for our journals are. But that's not the entire story. Um, behind any of our products. Um, So we have actually sort of turned a new leaf um, in that we are doing more content marketing to try and, um, you know, interest folks into publishing their articles with us. Um, And and one of those, um, and one of the initiatives in the content marketing uh, sphere that we've been pushing is our new blog called ACS Axial. Um, and that blog was set up so that we could tell the stories behind the journals. Because when you have these really prolific scientists, you know, leading your brands, there's just so much information that you can interest people with. You know, what are they doing in their labs? Um, what is their personal history like? Um, and you can, There's just different stories to tell behind that, as well as for our services. You know, we do a lot of um, things like... Um, open access programs and author services and, and there are stories to tell behind those as well. So we've been doing, we've been running a blog and and daily publishing new stories about our products and services and then emailing out um, our opt-ins and our interested uh, marketing lists um, once a month with different newsletters, um, you know, uh, tailored to their tastes.
1: Yeah. So I'm more, I'm curious to hear about these personal profiles. Are you, you know, publishing uh, kind of a portrait of someone's career the path they took, you know, the science they've done to get where they are. What does that look like?
4: Yeah. So we've done stories like that, you know, where you do like a profile story on, on your, your main subject. In this case it would be our, our active uh, research editors. Um, but we've actually been trying to push the boundaries of what uh, the stories that we're telling and the ways that we're telling them too, because I mean, people have so much to read these days that we're not, necessarily thinking they're going to stop what they're doing because they can just read another article that they're lambasted with about um, more subject matter, you know, or more scientific stuff. Um, So we've been trying to do sort of new and unique um, formats when coming up with blog posts. And uh, one of the most recent um, uh, blog posts we did um, was using a, what we call a 360 camera, uh, we brought the 360 camera into one of our active researcher editor's labs, and we used the camera to um, photograph his entire lab um, so that when we got the images back, it was, I don't know if you've ever seen like the HGTV Dreamhouse, but it was like one of the rooms in the HGTV Dreamhouse where you could move the image around and see the entire lab and see all of his equipment. And we pointed out different things on the video, um, you know, as to what he was working on. And it became kind of this really interesting, interactive um, story that we could tell with images instead of, you know, you know, 500 words or 1,000 words um, that people could look at relatively quickly and that they got excited about. And we're hoping that that excitement that they felt from looking at the 360 video then will translate into... Um, excitement about the journal itself. Um, And we call that, it's a series, it's called In the Lab with our various editors.
1: Every product, even a journal, has a story behind it. Those stories are driven by humans doing something different or interesting. Are you finding and telling those stories? Finally, my good friend David DeShifrin and I put together an episode spontaneously one day when I had to reschedule a guest for technical reasons. David helped me repurpose my blogs into an ebook that some of you have downloaded, and my podcasts into blog posts. So this episode is simply called repurposing content, which is kind of meta because we're repurposing content about repurposing content, and we also talked about the hierarchy of content types that shows for you the the options you have for repurposing when you. You begin with different types of content. Yeah. So, um, the, and the idea is that I've written on many, many topics. Now we've organized them into an outline that makes sense. So there's something about planning, and something about um, goal setting and structuring your content and repurposing and the whole thing. So there's there's a flow to it that would you can dive in and look for anything to say this is uh where I'm struggling with my content strategy. I can go right to that part. And without having to
5: plow through my blog online or whatever, you can find it easily. Right. Yeah, so I, I don't remember what the exact number was when when we first pulled all of your blog content, but it was in the neighborhood of um I don't know, twenty five, thirty thousand words maybe. Um and actually now I'm pulling it up here and I, I think it was significantly more than that. Well anyway, many, many thousands of words. And as you said, it's t- it's tricky. If somebody's coming to your website and they're interested in creating content or how to promote content, I mean, they can search for those terms, but they just it's it's hard to find. Blogs are really, I think, useful for somebody who's kind of a regular visitor um, and kind of gets the the flow of things. You can take kind of these snapshots, but if somebody wants just like a strategic overview of what's going on. Uh, you know, having a little bit more of a defined piece of content is a really good way to go. So that's yeah, that's essentially what we're trying to do here,
1: right? So tell them, tell the audience what you've been
5: doing, how you're pulling that together, and making it work. So I, um, I'm actually going to start by mentioning the software that I'm using, which is Scrivener. Uh, I've been aware of it for years and kind of toyed with some trials on it, some free trials for a long time, but never quite had the, the relevant use for it. But over the last several months, I've found how, how valuable it actually is. So there's just a free plug for the folks at Scrivener. Um, and what I've done is, is gone through, and I should thank you, Chris, because you had this stuff very well organized to begin with. So you had a pretty good idea of what you wanted this to look like. You had some general topics that come up, you know, pretty regularly in your podcast and in your blog and, and, um, It's been interesting because, you know, as I've read through every blog post you've ever published, you start to see these common themes emerge, whether uh, we realize it or not, as as we're creating content. And so it's just picking out those common themes and then literally putting them in a folder in Scrivener and then naming them. Um, And so that's that's kind of the basic idea. And then from there, it's just more kind of massaging and finessing the words so that it's um, it's one cohesive piece of content and so what we've been doing over the past several weeks is just finding the ble- finding the best place for each blog post and not just each blog post but each you know section within that. And so one of the the interesting things as i said is that there are common themes and quite frankly there is some redundancy. And this is i guess the other part of you know a blog versus an ebook versus any other type of content is you're going to find areas where there may be some overlap. And so what we've been trying to do is just streamline that. And so in some cases it's meant completely getting rid of an entire blog post that we thought we were going to use because it's just, it's all of the content is redundant with other stuff. And that makes it, um, not as valuable or almost frustrating. You know, people don't want to reread the same thing. And in other cases, it's taking a paragraph from a blog post and dropping it into another one. And so individual blog posts become chapters. The chapters are grouped by section. And what we've ended up with is, um, It is kind of a four part. I wanted to have some information right in front of me here.
1: We could leave some of this in so people can see how podcasts are actually created and edited.
5: Yeah, that's fine. by me. It's sort of scary as the one fumbling around, but yeah, yeah, I mean, we don't have to leave it all in. I mean, if this is going to be behind the scenes, let's do it. I'll, uh, what do they say? Be vulnerable, right? So, okay. So what I was, what I was getting at there, is that we've ended up with this uh, actually six part series, uh, six part ebook. And the sections are uh, I'm a fan of alliteration because it's cheap and easy, um, but I've got the prelude. We have a section on planning content. Uh, the next section is on producing content, then promoting it, then repurposing it. Uh, and then the last one, which I thought was pretty cool, Chris, that you came up with, was people. Um, and and how to kind of work with people on your team as a marketer and a couple of other things. So, you know, it's it's finding the common threads and figuring out a way to turn them into, I guess, a bigger whole. And as of right now, we we have a, not that word count is a relevant metric, it's kind of like Twitter followers, right? It doesn't mean anything if they're not engaged or they're good words. But right now we're sitting on a draft ebook that's uh, in the neighborhood of 35,000 words and i think is a pretty nice introduction to life science marketing
1: that's what i'm really excited about so we're repurposing blogs into ebooks and podcasts into blogs and podcasts into transcripts and webinars into podcasts so every possible way and the one thing i want to say just from a general content marketing standpoint is that outside of the life sciences, I see a lot of, what would I say, content producers who have a very tight message and find many, many ways to present the same thing. And I think sometimes in life science, we're always looking to say something new um, and maybe that dilutes our message or at least we might be afraid to think we already said that we have a piece of content on that. But as you think about your own behavior, first of all, uh, you don't read everything that comes through your email. You don't read every piece of content you have a chance to maybe because it's just not the right day. And then it goes, it, it falls off the bottom of your screen. But if it showed up again a month later and the timing were right, You'd read it and you happily so. So um, I want to encourage people to think about this idea that even though you feel like you've already said it and you don't want to annoy people, um, there's low risk of that by repeating yourself. And so I see a lot of very successful marketers outside of our industry, you know, taking that same message and just coming at it a thousand different ways. And so that's what I'm trying to do here.
5: Yeah, that's great. I love that. And, uh, an example of that is, um, Jay bear. I think it's, I think it's Jay who has the, he has a, actually he has multiple blog posts and audio. I mean, he does this, but again, getting kind of meta, he has a whole series of pieces of content on how you can make multiple pieces of content out of one thing. (laughs) And I, and I think the number for him is seven where it's like, you can get a, you know, X number of Twitter updates and, you know, a blog and then a video and then an audio, like a little mini audio right. postcard. And, and um, I mean, that's how he does everything. And he's been enormously successful. Yep. Um, and, and yeah, stuff just needs to be reinforced. I mean, you know, that's why Chevy advertises every single uh, commercial break uh, for, you know, during an NFL game, like it or not, people, people need that kind of reinforcement. And on
1: that note, I want to let you know that I'm expanding my services to now include audio content production. There are many ways to use audio in your content marketing. It doesn't have to be a full-fledged, regularly published podcast. But let me give you uh, an example. Events are a great opportunity to interview thought leaders to create something with immediate relevance to the attendees that you can get out quickly, and then perhaps repurpose it in some written form later. I won't go into the details and the logistics here, but if you want to know more or bounce some ideas around, send me an email, chris at lifesciencemarketingradio.com. Thanks again for listening. As always, if you liked the podcast, please tell two of your colleagues. And if you have a topic or guest you think I should have on the show, email me about that too. It's even okay to suggest yourself as a guest. You won't be the first person to have done that. I will talk to you in a couple weeks. So long.